welcome everybody. Just as a reminder, we record these calls for people to listen to the calls when they're not you know, working and can't join us live. So today's book club, Rockstar Book Club selection is Atomic Habits from James Clear. If you guys could all mute your lines unless you want to speak up, that would keep the, um, any feedback from being uh, shared by all of us. Uh, those of you that were on the call, I think three calls ago, we heard a toilet flush. <laughs> oh, so fun. Uh, I had about five people reach out to me and said, did you hear that toilet flush? So don't do that. Or if you're going to do it, you need to mute your line. So um, I'm curious, did any, is anyone on the call, did anyone on the call read the book? I know Josie is listening. And she didn't get all the way through it, but has a, something to share later on. How about everyone else? Who read it? I know, Barry, you said you didn't read it yet. You're too busy reading Fanatical Prospecting 10 times over, right? That is correct. <laughs> so and who... And then they go, what, um, never split the difference. Yeah, those two. And never split the difference. Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, sorry. Correct. Yeah. So you Hi, Beth. Read Michael Brandon over. here. I read it. All right, great, awesome. And by that I mean I listened to it. Exactly. Oh, speaking of listening, I don't know if you guys saw my social media post, but just what I did on Monday, I recorded my book for Audible. I'm very excited. It was a really cool experience. So probably in about a month, uh, Don't Say No for the Prospect will be available on Audible. So how cool is that? So, okay, back to, yeah, back to Atomic Habits. Um, so I think from everyone, one of the you know a lot of people felt like it got a little repetitive at the end, and I heard from more than a few people that they didn't finish the book. So Michael, did you finish the book? I did. Did you feel that it was repetitive? I kind of got a little preachy at the end, and maybe a little redundant, but. Yeah. I think that his style is he's just trying to reiterate and ingrain those points. So since I was listening to it, I got over it. Okay. How, um, what, was your, what, were, what were one or two of your takeaways from the book? I mean, as, as cliche as this may be that small changes, big difference, just in terms of you know, adding, you know, to use the Jeb Blunt adage, one more call, Right. You add one more call, add five more calls in a t scale of 30 days. That adds up to, you know, call it an extra 100 plus calls. That's that's not insignificant. Right, for sure. And I guess I think what it what it turns out to they said if you do 1% every day for the year, and of course, you know, you don't have to do it every day for the year, but he says if you do 1% better each day, uh, a year later, you you will have improved by 37%. That's pretty significant, 37%, right? And I will share with you, um, you know, those of you that read my book, we had a whole little case study in there about with Kara. And by the way, she's not on the call because she's showing. We've got a second gen restaurant space, and she's got three showings today, um, right now. So uh, we let's all mentally wish her well, but. She, uh, since the case study we did in, in Don't Say No for the Prospect, she has upped her game on canvassing. She was, uh, if you guys remember, she had committed to, I think, uh, 60 to 80 prospecting calls a day. And she was doing 70% of those cold calling. After three months of doing that, we switched her, we sat down and, and, and revisited the process and the systems, and we then upped her canvassing to she wanted to do 30 a day or you know between 100 and 150 a week. And I went canvassing with her for the first time about two weeks ago. And the, the results of her comfort level and her ease and her ability to get information, I was blown away by how just easy it was and how natural it came and I could see a, a significant improvement and difference because of the fact that she had, you know, between the time I went with her before and this time, 
probably had canvassed you know five to seven hundred people and I, I walked out after the first one and I said oh my gosh what a difference and she goes right like she she could feel it herself that it was just easier she was able to the more you, know, you do it the better you get you know she can recognize uh, you know personalities and styles and so it was just phenomenal so I, I just wanted to put that out there that it does this you know the more you do something the better you're going to get at it for sure okay so what about um, so so Josie I think you should jump on you're probably muted but jump on and talk about habit stocking and say hello to the group <laughs> hi everyone uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I read the book. I uh, well, about halfway through. Um, he, I felt he did get a little redundant at at, uh, at some point. But anyway, I've been trying to uh, pick up a new good habit every month. Um, one of which this month was I was going to start doing um, crunches or tummy crunches uh, every morning, and I put it on my calendar. And I'm like, okay, lo and behold, I'm going to do this, and I would do it once, skip two days do it once, skip one more day, do it again. I'm like, okay, this is not working. So I went back to what I learned on the book about habit stacking, and I said, okay, when I come back home every morning from my morning walk with the dogs, I'm going to do my tummy crunches. And lo and behold, it worked. I have been doing it. Religiously. Yes, religiously. Yeah. Anybody else uh, thought that habit stacking was an interesting concept and employed that in your daily world? Yeah. Beth, this, Beth, is, this is Mike, Mike Corbett. Um, hi, Mike. Yeah, I, um, hi. Yeah, I do. I kind of get in the hot tub every morning and get my, all my, my list for t the day going, and I started meditating the first 10 minutes, and I've, I've really stuck with that. The other thing that I did, which is really kind of making a big difference, is I started to do a new CRM, and I just did a little bit. I said, I'll do the first 20 minutes. I'll just add to it. And I found this great CRM called Zoho, which is free, and it's been about 40 days, and I've got close to 800, and they're all you know, retailers, all retail-related uh, contacts and it's pretty amazing because then I get excited about it and I'll instead of 20 minutes I'll do 30 minutes and right it's amazing how quickly that builds up so I, I'm all about that book I thought it was very the whole 1% rule I think is what we're all striving to do is just get a little bit better and once you see improvement it, it makes a big difference Awesome. I'm so glad that you're I, – I love that you're on these calls, Mike. Tell everyone where you're from. Yeah. Oh, I love being on them. Great calls. Tell everyone where you're from. Uh, I'm in the Bay Area from Harsh Investment. Uh, I've been with this company almost 20 years. We're family-owned, but got about 23 million square feet um, throughout the West mainly. A lot of that's multi-tenant industrial, but I run the retail division and we're not that big on that. We've only got about 3 million square feet on that side of it. Well, we love having West Coasters on the call. But, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I love what he, you know, he talks about, um, he says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems, which, I, you know, I thought that statement was phenomenal, which is so true, you know, and, and he says, winners and losers, have the same goals. <laughs> so, you know, we can all sit down and write a goal that we want to, you know, conquer a new CRM platform. And But if we don't do the habits like Mike is doing every day for 20 minutes, then it's never, it's, it doesn't matter what your goal is, right, if you don't put the execution behind it. And, and he also talks about when you, when you have goals, when you're focused on the goal part of it versus the system part of it, then you're only happy once when you've achieved the goal, right? But if you focus on the systems part of it, and exactly what Mike said, he gets excited when he's doing the CRM, and then he wants to do it a little more. So his happiness and right enjoyment and sense of accomplishment is in the system 
versus he did comment and now I have 800 that's great but if you're if you're all wrapped up in I want to get to 800 then what James Clear says is you're not feeding that emotional uh, you know resolution of satisfaction when you're focused on the goal and not on the process and I thought that was pretty you know, you know, interesting as I was reading it going, aha, uh -huh. and then I just heard kind of that in Michael's, in Mike's voice that he was just talking about his experience. How about the comment about the stone cutter? So I'm, I'm sure you guys have all seen that there's a little cartoon where there's a, two guys and they're in their backyard and they're digging and you know they're digging and they're digging and they're digging and then one guy you know they're both covered with sweat and one guy just kind of puts down the shovel and walks away and the other guy you know keeps digging and the guy that walks away you can see in the cartoon that the gold is like in the next shovel so and and the story in 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 atomic habits where he talks about the stone cutter and the stone cutter is I guess with an axe or a hammer, you know, hammering away, hammering away, hammering away, and nothing's happening. And a hundred, I guess, chops or cuts or pounds, whatever it is, and with a hammer, a hundred, a hundred. And then in the hundred and one hit, the stone breaks. And I feel that way. You know, he talks about that, that you even, you know, little habit, don't focus on, okay, well, I've done you know, the, I've done crunches, like what Josie said, I've done crunches for two weeks in a row. Why don't I have, you know, a flat stomach? Because it takes, you know, three, four, five, six months or whatever to reach a goal. And you need, and, and, and he talks a lot about identity, right? With if your pride is, if you have, if you're proud of your identity. So the bodybuilder is proud of his physique, if you identify and are proud of an identity you have, you will be more motivated to continue the habits that create the identity. And did any of you get that when you were reading the book and did you, could you relate to that, anything in your life about that? No? Okay. How about my, you know, my, probably my favorite I love the story of the bikers. So for those of you that didn't read the book, they, there was a bike, I think it was French bicyclist team, and they had never won ever in these, you know, world-renowned bike races. And a new coach, I think, comes onto the scene, and he reverse engineers every little thing about the bicyclists. And, and his, his vow was to improve 1% in every area, whether it was what the clothes they were wearing, you know, the whole cots, their, what they ate, how they slept, every little thing that they could reverse engineer, they tried to improve 1%. And then, you know, the team won, after they were doing this for a while, that this bicyclist team won going forward, you know, many, many, many races. And in the end of the book, for those of that you didn't get there, they talk about Pat Riley and the LA Lakers and how everyone in, you know, in a certain era before they started winning, everyone kept saying they had the talent, they had the talent, this is going to be the team of the century, they have the talent, but they didn't get to the playoffs. And Pat Riley got very frustrated and he, um, let's see if I can find it in the book, he called it a, I was thinking it was like a CRM, but it was a CR something. And, um, and what he did, the same thing as the bicyclist, is he broke down, oh, he called it the CBE. Let me see what it stands for. And he broke down every, uh, the same thing, uh, different habits that you, he said that, oh, it's CBE, career best effort. And, they, he, and in the book he says it was similar to the British cycling team. And he pointed that it, Riley said it wasn't merely about points or statistics, but best, giving your best effort spiritually and mentally and physically. And that players got credit for allowing an opponent to run into you 
when you know that a foul will be called against them, or diving for loose balls, or going after rebounds, whether you are likely to get them or not because you are helping out a, play, a teammate when the player he's guarding has searched past him or other unsung deeds. And they talked about, he talks about Magic Johnson and how he consistently had you know, way more CBE numbers than anyone else. But, you know, what, and you guys have heard me talk about this, how important stats are, right? And even in the book, in the CARA case study, you know, how many cold calls are you doing? How many canvases? How many Facebook prospects? How many LinkedIn prospects? And, and, and understanding what's your average commission? And if you want to reach your goal, how many deals do you have? You know, and, and, and then backing that out so you know, okay, I need to do 80 cold calls a day or 150 face, uh, prospects, you know, overall a week or whatever it is. And then, and then every 90 days looking back and checking that. Because if you don't know what your stats are, you're, never, you're definitely never going to reach your goals. And, and I think I, I spoke about this on, the, on last month's call as well. You know, Kara went through a little bit of a slump about five or six weeks ago. We noticed that for a whole week she had only shown space once. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, what happened? Why is that? You know, were you candidate? And then we remembered the Jeb Blunt book, and I think it's the 30-day theory, or he calls it something, and we looked back, and 30 days prior, Kara had, was out for three days because she had her wisdom teeth pulled. And it was like, 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 poof, you know, like just, oh my gosh, how this stuff really works. You know, four weeks ago, she was out for three days, didn't do her numbers, and in the Jeb Blunt example, here it is 30 days later, and her showings were off. Her average showings, like today she's got three showings. Yesterday she had two showings. I think her average showings per week are probably in the five to eight range, and that one week she had one showing. So it's, it's, it, this is real. You know, this really, this really it works. And I loved when he talked about Pat Riley and how he, you know, any type of statistic that they could break down and review, you know, was something that he felt. And then, of course, the story ends with, you know, they have the, you know, they're the, the team of the decade, right? They win more national champions, championships than any other team. So I know, Barry, you do a lot of breaking down of your, you know, your activities. Yeah, and in fact, I, I, as you said, I didn't read this book, but it sounds really, really similar to a book I, I either listened to or read, I can't remember which, but it was excellent, called The Compound Effect. And it was mm -hmm. all about that, you know, just little, very, very incremental improvements. Like he said, over, you know, you add even one quarter of 1% improvement every day or every week over the course of a year, it's, it's you know, enormous. And that it was all about that. And I know you were talking about the process and, you know, enjoying the process that sounds familiar with a guy we we listened to a little bit Gary Vaynerchuk and you know, he talks about the you know buying the jets and he always talks about you know it's all about the process and I don't even care if I ever do buy the jets it's the process and really enjoying that the chase of it more than maybe someday even you know standing at a podium buying the jets so Absolutely. yeah as far as tracking yeah I think it all ties together agreed and you track right yeah yes I mean, when, how long have you been tracking? Um, for a long time, a bunch of years. And I do find, like, if I get off of it is when, like, and I, I'm, as you said, I'm going back and re-listening to fanatical prospecting, and you talk about the 30-day rule. And I do find, like, if I get off of that, you, you know, a couple of weeks down the road or a month down the road, all of a sudden you look back and it's like, why, why is my pipeline not where I want it to be? And, uh, well, I wasn't tracking or I didn't do, you know, go and make these calls that week. And it does. I mean, you got to kind of track it to to see where you're at. And I know like in Fanatical Prospecting, he talks about, I mean, all athletes know, if you go talk to any professional baseball player or athlete, I mean, they know the every, you know, umpteen statistics about how they're performing. Um, and we in sales, we we don't generally get to that level of detail or even track it. And it's it's important, definitely. Yeah, he says in the book, um, he says, professionals stick with their schedules. Amateurs let life get in the way. I love that. Professionals stick to the schedule. Amateurs let life get in the way, right? So you can imagine an Olympic athlete 
is going to get up no matter what, right? That's his job. No matter what, he's going to get up and go, you know, ski the moguls or swim the laps or run, you know, whatever it is. He's going to stick to the schedule. And amateurs, you know, sales, completing sales and executing on sales is our job. It's just like an Olympic athlete, that's their job. And how often, oh, we don't need to prospect today, right? I mean, we just, oh, we don't feel good. We're under the weather. Or, or oh, you know, we let, we let interruptions delay us or derail us from doing the habits that are necessary for us to complete our jobs, for sure, right? That's for along sure. those lines. There's a book I read recently. I can't remember who the author was, but she talks about playing offense and not defense. And it's along those lines. <laughs> and that really, I mean, that actually stuck with me as much as anything in your book, Beth, was really that one line where you mentioned playing offense and not defense and being proactive and not reactive. And that's, that's exactly what you're talking about is, you know, the, the best in the business or athletes, they're playing offense and they're not reacting. I mean, they're, they're, they're being very proactive and they're, they're pushing it themselves and not responding to what others are doing. Well, right, and, and you know what, where that comes from is it's so easy. You know, it, 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 we all, it's in our human nature, everyone's human nature to help people. So, you know, we're sitting at our desk, we've got our phone in front of us, or Facebook prospecting, or we're getting ready to go canvassing, or we're out canvassing, and we get that interruption. And that interruption is, hey, I, can I talk to you about the striping and sealing bit at your property? Or... Can I ask you, the accountant's calling, you know, taxes are due and we have three questions. And it's, it's just human nature to react, stop what we're doing, and respond. Half the time, and I hear this from everyone, half the time leaders, leaders and we're all leaders, if we did not respond to that person, they would figure out the answer on their own. And if you waited until five or six, and said, you know, I'll call you at 6, or let me know at, at later on at 4, 5, 6 o'clock, I'll call you back and we can go over the list of things you need from me from the day. Nine times out of 10, that list of eight things is, boils down to two, because the other six they handled. But it's just easy to, you know, okay, let me stop being proactive, let me stop doing a you know, offense things and help someone else and be reactionary and do the defense. So I just think that's human nature. He, uh, James Clear says, and going back to Barry, what you said about the compound effect, which I have not read that. I need to put that on my list. Do you recommend it? Yeah, it's excellent. And in fact, um, I'll throw it out there if anybody's interested. It's written by Darren Daly. And if you Google him, he does, um, and it, again, talking along the lines of compounding effect and just like small daily incremental improvement, he has something called Darren Daily, where you subscribe to his emails and it's free. You get like a three-minute video email early every morning, and it's like a predict, not productivity tip, more a self-improvement type tip or idea uh, that I, I look forward to every day. I've done those for several years and I uh, get some fantastic ideas out of. I, I highly recommend um, that. And his name I is Darren, that Darren Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y, oh, and he does Hardy. this program, Darren. It's called Darren Daly's. He sends out D-A-I-L-Y. I can shoot you one and you can get to folks, but you just Google him and Darren Daly, and you subscribe and you get an email, video email in your inbox every day, and it's just like a little you know, self-improvement type idea that he, he talks about. Someone else is jumping in. Oh, I was going to mention Beth. Sorry, Barry and Beth. Um, James Clear also has an email newsletter that he puts out that's, you know, it's a smaller format. He breaks down individual topics, but I've enjoyed it thus far. I think he mentions it in the book, puts yes. it out weekly. Yes, yes, awesome. So, uh, so is going along the idea of what Barry just said about this book called The Compound Effect, uh, in James Clear's book, The Atomic Habits, he says, habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. So I love that. Habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. That's cool. And um, he says, he, then he talked about, I thought this was very interesting, uh, and I'm curious for those of you on the phone that read the book, or, and even those that, that have not, he says that we imitate habits. So first of all, he says that we don't choose our earliest habits, we imitate them. 
And you think about that, right? We imitate from other people our earliest habits. And then he says, his, he, what he wants you to do is he wants you to imitate habits from three different groups. Or I guess we, we tend to imitate habits from three different groups. One, the people close to us. Two, groups of many, right? So I would tell you my working out habit has definitely come from groups of many, you know, because it became a trendy thing to work out. And, you know, you can't, you cannot turn on any podcast, really, or read any book or even the newspaper or, or be at dinner with your friends when the many aren't talking about working out. And I figured I better jump on this bandwagon. It's obviously the thing to do. And, of course, it's good for your health. So, and then the third group is the powerful. So he says we imitate habits from people close to us, groups of many, and then powerful people. Like, for example, how many times have you heard the whole um, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Buffett, yeah. Warren Buffett reading 60 books a year, right? And people use that all the time. And they say, well, if Warren Buffett reads 60 books a year, I should read one, you know, one book a month, right? Or the CEO reads, so whatever, however many books a CEO reads, and that those are powerful people, and we imitate habits. Did, did anyone? What did, what did you guys think about that? Any thoughts? No. Okay, moving on. The other quote that I or thing that I read that I thought was interesting is, "Be the designer of your world versus the consumer." I kind of think this goes along with offense versus defense. So be the designer of your world. You create the world you want. Don't just consume it or assume what's happening around you. So take action, right? You know, so I think that that, I thought that was interesting. Um, he, I love this. This I really love, and I feel that this has a lot to do with, with commercial real estate and social media. You can't win by being better. No, if you can't win, <laughs> that didn't make sense. If you can't win by being better, then win by being different. So, of course, we would all love to win by being better. But there's a lot of great, smart investment sale brokers. There's a lot of great, smart leasing agents. There's a lot of great, smart, you know, whatever we do, right? So uh, he, what he's saying is the competition is less, is, is thinner in being different. And for sure, I'm seeing that in our new world of social media where you know, I find that less than 5% of commercial real estate folks are, are active in social media. So, and that, I think, is putting us, the ones that have, of us that are doing it is causing us to be different. Who has a thought on that? Barry or Michael or Michael. Man, I, I think absolutely being different. I mean, nobody, I mean, there's, if you look at like leasing or investment sales, I mean, I'm, I, I can't be the absolute best. I mean, there, there can only be one best in reality if you look at it that way. So it's, I, I agree. I mean, it's being really, really good and staying on top of things, but then being professional, but being different and just standing out and staying top of mind, you know, doing what you can to stay top of mind, which is what, you know, social media is all about. Someone else was going to say something? Beth, it's Eddie from Phoenix. Yes, Eddie. This was one of my and my business partner's idea when we started wearing beards with the being different thing. In Phoenix, when you walk into a room full of commercial real estate brokers, you've got black pants, blue shirts, shaved faces, and the same haircut. <laughs> That's why I started growing the big beard. I want to be the big bearded guy. I'm a little bit different. Love that. And it's, it's worked, right? Absolutely. Every day I have conversations about the beard and people remember me because of it. So, you know, I've been wondering why you haven't changed your picture, I think, on either LinkedIn. I think on LinkedIn. Is your picture still an unbearded face? 
It's a short bearded face, and that's because SBN wants it to be that way. Oh, it's I more of a that. corporate thing. Yeah. I hate that. Well, I love the bearded differentiation. You Thank know, you. you know, as you know, you've commented, what is my di- differentiation? One of them, my brands. You're right. Lady in red. Color. Yeah. I read. Eddie, I posted a picture on Facebook for, or on Instagram the other day. I'm so brand new into Instagram, I don't even know what I'm doing. But um, I posted a picture on sibling day of my sister and I, and Eddie wrote, oh my gosh, this is the first time I've ever not seen you in red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true. I love it. But yeah, you know, when a young boy, not young boy, but a young man came to my workshop and he said, I want to do something to stand out. We were talking about, you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you, and how do you stand out and get people to know you, especially the national retailers. And he lived in Charleston. And I said, you know, and he had like a southern accent. And I said, well, do you ever wear bow ties? And he goes, yeah, you know, I, I wear bow ties. I said, well, I would, I would only ever wear bow ties. You know, even if with shorts and, you know, a button-down Oxford shirt wear a bow tie. Be the bow tie guy. And he did. And he, like a year later, called me and he said it was the best thing he ever did for his business, being the bow tie guy. So hey, I Beth, think- it's Mike again. Yeah. Just real, yeah. real quick on the difference thing. I was talking to a CPA. He was going to help me get some of finance stuff together. And he said, oh, I'm on your LinkedIn. He said, you should change your background picture on LinkedIn. I went on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, okay. So just a little thing like that. If you look, you know, it, it, that you have that blue LinkedIn kind of squiggly lines things right. on the back. But So I went in and just added one of my shopping centers in the background. And it, But, it, it, you know, it pops out different than everyone else. So just a little tip that I thought, you know, you were talking about difference, making a difference, just little little stuff like that, I think will make you stand out a little bit more. Absolutely. You know, Barry and I have been practicing, right, Barry, on LinkedIn, trying to learn new things. And he and I both put uh, something after our name. Like I had Beth Azor, CRE leasing coach. And so every time you would see my name, that would, like, it would say CRE leasing coach after my name. And, it, and Barry added, what did you add, Barry, triple net lease net, pro? Or? Net lease pro, yeah, net lease pro. Well, all of a sudden, you know, LinkedIn is going through a lot of changes, and all of a sudden, people started like emailing me saying, "I can't find you on LinkedIn. Did you drop off LinkedIn?" And um, and you know, and Barry, like, and Josie, like, they were trying to find me, and they couldn't find me. And so we, so someone from LinkedIn said, "Drop that moniker after your name," and we did, and then my name started popping up. So. But yeah, I, I have a different background behind my name too. But this whole social media thing is every day you, you learn a new thing. It's, it's fascinating and fun, but it's not easy for sure. And it's frustrating. It's, you, know, you, you think, you know, we were just, uh, Barry and I were on a call yesterday talking about LinkedIn. And, and even though they'll say, they'll, they'll send you, you should connect with this person. And then you reach out and connect. If you, if you over connect with too many people that don't, you know, welcome your connection, then LinkedIn will send you a little note, you know, you're, you're connecting with too many people you don't know. So it's just, it's frustrating, but it's just the way of the world. It's, it's, it's the new thing. I'm sure, you know, in the 1920s when people started driving, it was frustrating too because, you know, people were learning all kinds of things. They probably learned, we need stoplights for stop signs. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, but being different, you know, if you can't win by being better because the field is too wide, than being different. So I like that. What did you guys think about the um, imitating habits from three groups? Eddie, what did you think about that? Have you, did you think about what habits, you know, you, you've been working out. Have you always worked out or did you just start working out? I have always been somewhat of a workout type person, although when I started the 100-day challenge, that's what the differentiator was. And it was funny, I was talking to one of my other coaches the other day, and I know every single day at 5 o'clock, I stop for an hour, sometimes I have to go back to work, and my gym clothes are sitting in my truck, 
and I know that I am going to go north on 16th Street, and I am going to stop at the gym for an hour no matter what is happening. And, but did you, was that because of a habit, because of people close to you, many people, or powerful people? Where did that habit come from? Because he says you know, all habits come from those three groups. Yeah, I, I think it would be more of a social thing because it started on social media. So, yeah. And then I was posting it, and then it got to the point where it was an everyday thing, and I wasn't even posting it anymore, and I just know that either I'm going hiking or I'm going to the gym. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I watch, you know, we, as some of us have the connections, or Jason or, um, or Blake or you, and I'm telling you, when I see you guys out working out, I feel guilty. I'm like, okay, I have to go work out and post. It's like silliness. It just sounds <laughs> right. so silly, but if it makes me healthier, then why the hell not? It's a good thing. If it, It's a good Absolutely. thing if my friends, even though we're not friends in the old definition of friends, like uh, because you're my neighbor or I see you for drinks once a month or whatever, I truly believe we are very close social media friends. I feel like I have this whole friendship of people that, I see on my phone. It's just really, at 58 years old, it's very bizarre. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. There's so many people that I shouldn't be friends with, but I am. I, I talk to Gabriel like every day now because yeah. of Instagram. Yeah. Did you guys miss me? Hello? Yeah, you went you went dark on us there for a bit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I, I got disconnected. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, well, and I was we were in the middle we were in the middle of sharing how these new friends on social. So, Michael, um have you done any social meeting, social media, Mike Corbett? Oh yeah, no, I um, I'm on LinkedIn pretty heavily, and I'm um, so that that's the big one. I I from a personal thing because I have three daughters in their early twenties, and so they've got me on Instagram. But I told them I didn't want any of the likes thing. I, I just wanted to put photos that I like with landscape and pets, but. But, you know, I look at my daughter who is 20, just turned 21, and she's got, you know, 1,000-plus followers, and you got these social media companies reaching out to her to say, hey, would you wear our product? And so I said, you know, there's got to be something to that. Um, yeah. But but for me, I mean, I you know, I'm – I'm kind of old school like you, Beth, and I'm trying to learn new ways to skin the cat. But right. um, I, I think link, LinkedIn and using video and, and using, you know, selectively, not trying to overdo something every day because I think people get tired of that. But I think LinkedIn, obviously, for us is probably the, the biggest one, you know, as far as promoting what we do. Are you uh, starting to make Vegas appointments and are you doing it through LinkedIn direct messaging? Uh, yes and no. I, I'm definitely making appointments, but it's it's more just you know email and texting things of that sort. Um, well, you, you know, know if someone reaches out to me through through LinkedIn, I'll I'll respond back that way. Yeah, it's amazing how many retailers are not on LinkedIn still. I guess you know, Chris Russell and I were talking about this the other day. You know, I guess they don't need to be, but um, there's a few that are. And when I reach out on LinkedIn to get met, to get appointments for Vegas, 
if they are active on LinkedIn, I get responses a lot quicker than getting lost in their email hell. Yeah, I, well, and I, it, it, it's across the board it's different because I've sent people LinkedIn messages and then you know, they're not as up to date with LinkedIn and not following it. So it does, sometimes I won't hear back for a month and they'll go, oh, I, I don't check my LinkedIn messages. Right. So I, I don't know. But, but the other one is, is um, that I've gotten on just recently in the last 30 days is Twitter. I, I hadn't, have not done that. And once again, my, my daughters kind of were more into it and kind of, you know, talking about groups and influencing. My daughters were the ones that kind of said, oh, you should just get on. So I, I follow a lot of retail uh, gurus, the retail profit, and, and a bunch of different people, you know, not only in the States, but in, in Britain, and, and get their take of where retail is going. And I find that's been very inform informative. And I'll look, you know, kind of on a daily basis, just what the latest and greatest thoughts are. And that's been fun to follow. Yeah, they call the uh, they call Twitter the water cooler of our, you know, of this generation. And, and certainly, I feel that you know, when I, when I, I, I'll never forget, you know, you never forget the certain times in your life. And I remember I was in a bank drive-through drive lane listening to CNBC when they, when it was announced that Amazon had bought Whole Foods. And I immediately went to Twitter, you know, to see right. if it was true and, you know, right. see the comments of everyone. So, yeah, I feel that Twitter is like the up-to-date up news, right, that whatever's trending. So right. I, that's how I use Twitter. Yeah. Um, uh, either of the Michaels or Eddie or you know the ones of you guys that read the book, other thoughts. Uh, you know, I, I'll read. I don't know if you guys saw this near the end of the book that, and I don't know how to pronounce the name exactly, but Lao Tzu, and he. This yeah, is a quote. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, right, yeah right. Right. Yeah. Men are born soft and supple. Dead, they are stiff and hard. Plants are born tender and pliant. Dead, they are brittle and dry. Thus, whoever is stiff and inflexible is a disciple of death. Whoever is soft and yielding is a disciple of life. The hard and stiff will be broken. The soft and supple will prevail. I, you know, if that's not about yeah. social media <laughs> in our generation, I don't know what is. But I think, you know, staying, being flexible is so important, especially in our world of retail and our ever-changing world of retail. So, you know, what did you, what do you guys think about you know re, you know remaining flexible when it comes to you know I, I did a speech just a, a couple of days ago at Retail Live in Orlando, and I, I kept saying you know there's a, a large you know pretty good audience, and I said you know who raise your hand if you've heard of Zillow for you know residential real estate and you know, everyone raised their hand and I said so how many, raise your hand if you think something like that's coming for us and you know people a couple like 10% kind of slowly raised their hand and I said for sure there's some groups thinking about that and how is that going to disrupt our business and you know I, I, I kind of saw some people's eyes get wide like you know really but you know, I, I'm you know we we cannot afford to be the taxi drivers in an Uber industry, right? So yeah, maybe it, maybe if we're not going to get disrupted like that, but we might. It certainly has happened well, in a, well, a related, it, it, very close field tars. It, it's hey Beth, Mike again. It's happening already. I was in Monterey at ICSC last month. On the panel, my friend was doing it from JLL. On the panel was a guy from AI, Locate AI out of San Francisco. And basically, you know, they'll do kind of the geofencing and right. where they, you know, they put a, a, a parameters around a center or a city and they'll tell you where you've been, the shoppers, in the last four years. They can say he, they went there, they went there, they went there. This is where they sleep at night. And, and basically, now they're hooking up with brokerages or becoming the broker. So they'll go right. to a retailer, Ulta, and say, you know, get rid of your broker. I want to be, I want to tell you exactly where to go. And it's, it's 
it's I, they haven't got there yet, but I had drinks with the the guy that's in house with them later that night. And he said, "Oh no, it's we're we've got a few retailers, and not big ones yet, but we're getting there." So I think AI is going to definitely blow up and be more of a player than we probably know in the next five ten years for sure. So Beth, yeah. can I interject another thing? Um, yeah. Are you familiar with the company Buxton? They spend yeah. a lot of money. A lot of big, yeah. bigger or big retailers use them. Yeah. They announced recently a joint venture or some kind of relationship with CoStar, which you know, I'm fortunate that one of my tenant clients gave me their user login to use Buxton on their behalf, and I could kind of see this unrolling. But effectively, the the partnership between them is the analytical data that they're feeding the retailer on site selection and then to plug them into the actual, you know, however you feel about CoStar is one other thing, but a database of conceivably available properties. So it's kind of like, okay, you're partnering to sort of push me out of a job. Yeah. Well, but you know, mentally. Yeah, I mean, they can't look, I feel that. Right. So, so I, you know, months ago, before I went to Shop Talk, I believed the tenant rep industry was on the significant downward trend. And I was talking to, you know, major network brokerage firms, and, and they were confirming for sure that tenant rep fees were significantly down, and many tenant rep brokers were jumping ship and going to the landlord side of things or investment sales. Then I went to Shop Talk. And what I learned at Shop Talk and, and the OAC, the ICFC Open Air Conference in Austin, and both of those shows opened my eyes to uh, a shocking statistic that, there, you know, if you would have said to me again a month ago when I was in this mode of thinking, how many online retailers are there out there? that are like successful and considering opening bricks and mortar stores. And I would have said, you know, 10. <laughs> I, I truly did it. I thought, I, you know, I could say, okay, Bonobos, Untucket, Warby Parker. Okay, there's three. You know, maybe there's seven more. Well, uh, I went to these two conferences and learned that there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of what they call now, on, our name of online retailers is called DNBs, digitally native brands, and and I and there's a group called the Fifth Wall, and Fifth Wall is a private equity funding source for these online retailers, and they put up a slide that I thank God I got it before because everyone asked them for it and they wouldn't give it to them. I took a picture with my phone. They wrote on the slide that. And Barry, you can't answer. And I don't know if you guys have heard me say this. How many online retailers, how many locations have online retail opened in the last 12 months? Who knows the answer? Or who, who wants to throw out a guess? I'm going with 400. 850. 850. Is, is Amazon one of them? Our committees. Oh, say, each of you say what you said. Mike, Mike asked, "Is Amazon one of them?" Oh, I don't. I well, they didn't. May, I presume Amazon was one of them, and maybe they did their five or seven Amazon to goes and their five bookstores probably is in there. But 850 bricks and mortar locations were opened in the last 12 months by online retailers. And those of you, Barry mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk. I was on a live call with him a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him because he's a predictor of trends. Uh, you know, on these DMVs, Gary, do you think there? Are, how many, I said, what percentage of them do you think are going to open bricks and mortar? And he said, tons and tons. He said, any of them that are raising Series C money, which is forty to eighty million dollars, he said, track those because that's what they're going to use the money for. So I came out of those two conferences with a whole, you know, more excitement for, I don't te do tenant rep, but it's obviously a significant part of our industry, and I certainly pay a lot of brokers that, you know, bring tenants to my portfolio. But 
I, I just felt better for our whole tenant rep industry. And as I'm talking now, since I've left those two conferences and I'm talking to other tenant rep brokerage firms, none of them are, or hopefully they're going to start now that I've been telling them that they need to, but none of them had been going and approaching either the private equity firms or, or you know, you can, there's probably, you know, in, in Mike's, you know, ge- geographic piece of the world, there's probably 100 based out there and 100 based in New York, and, and tenant rep firms can just go to those markets and start visiting them. There's a woman in New, New York or New Jersey, Melissa Gonzalez. She runs a group uh, called the Lionesque Group. She is the self-proclaimed site selector for these online retailers. I'm not sure she has a real estate license. So there's, there are, there's opportunity, whether or not Buxton or geofencing, you know, certainly the online retailers would embrace an AI format for locations, right, over a Dix or an Ulta, you know, because they're, you know, Dix and Ulta have to be adapt, they have to adapt and change from doing something they've been doing for all these years, right? And these online retailers don't know from that. They're not stuck into, well, we've already always done it this way. But, you know, I, I still believe and hope that the personal input and advice on markets and, and intangibles that maybe an AI thus far can't give feedback on will still be valuable. Any thoughts on all of that? Okay. So it's 12.23. Josie, are you still on? And I don't remember what the book is next month. I'm not with Josie today at the office. What the book is and what the date is. And then I'm going to, for anybody on the phone that does not have a copy of my book, if you email me now that you would like a signed copy, I will give the 1st, the 13th, and the 47th emails, signed copy of my book. So email me now, and whoever's in in that queue, 1st, 13th, and 47th, I'll send you a signed book, and a button if you want it. Tell me in the email if you want a button. Josie, Hi. Yep, the next book is Rejection Proof, How I Beat Fear and Became Invisible, Invi- Invincible Through 100 Days of Rejection on May 17th. So right before Vegas. Oh, I wonder if we're going to have to uh, change that date. But we'll hold it for right now, May 17th. And um, I started reading this book, fascinating. This guy who was very shy and wanted to overcome a, a rejection, one of the first stories is he puts on a soccer outfit, you know, shins, soccer ball, et cetera, and he goes into a neighborhood and knocks on a door and says, can I go play soccer in your backyard? <laughs> and the guy let him. So I just started listening to it, but it's, it is, I, I, for us, our whole world is about overcoming rejection. So I thought it would be a fun book. And um, so any other questions before we end? I you know, hope you guys have a great uh, week and month, and I'll see, I hope you, we all see each other in Vegas. Betty, are you going to be in Vegas? Betty might, might have dropped off. All right, guys. So if you want a signed copy of the book, the first, email 13th and 47th. Have a great, great rest of your month. Take care. Thanks for being on the call.